This is the Read Your Bible Podcast, the daily podcast designed to help you understand and apply the scriptures. Nothing will grow your relationship with Jesus Christ more than studying the Bible for yourself. I'm your host, Drew Tankersley, and for the next few moments, I want to invite you to join me as we dive into God's Word together. We'll ask God to help us see what He wants us to see so that we can be who He wants us to be. I've always been captivated by the power of lightning. Just the sheer beauty and power is breathtaking to behold. But on today's podcast, the children of Israel are witness to the most incredible display imaginable. Though they had witnessed some of the most incredible events of human history, what happened on this mountain is an even more potent reminder of the power of this God. And it is a vision worth considering in our lives today. We're reading verses 20 through 23 of Exodus 19 today. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai at the top of the mountain, and then the Lord summoned Moses to the top of the mountain, and he went up. The Lord directed Moses, go down and warn the people not to break through to see the Lord. Otherwise, many of them will die. Even the priests who come near the Lord must consecrate themselves, or the Lord will break out in anger against them. Moses responded to the Lord, The people cannot come up Mount Sinai since you warned us, but put a boundary around the mountain and consecrate it. Exodus 19 is one of those moments that I hope that God has recorded for us to watch when we get to heaven. Just reading about this incredible display of majestic power makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck. There is far more to this astonishing display than simply God-inspired pyrotechnics. It all has an essential purpose for us to understand. You see, there has been this common theme that has arisen really since the beginning of the Exodus saga. It is this declaration or revelation of who the Lord is. Three months ago to the day, a fugitive shepherd named Moses stumbled into the very presence of God upon this mountain, and he emerged with a message of national deliverance. After having been liberated with mighty signs and wonders designed to declare who God was to the Pharaoh, to the Israelites, and to the world, this nation of slaves has at last stumbled upon the same mountain of God. This was precisely what God had told Moses to do, to bring them back to this same mountain so that they could experience what he had experienced three months earlier. These were Jewish people who had arisen from one family as slaves in Egypt. And up until this point, God had only appeared to their ancestors Now, there's a whole nation of people, some 603,000 men strong, who need to be shown who this God is. Even their leader, Moses, needs a more robust understanding of just who God is. This is God himself revealing for us who he was to these people. Even back when Moses was arguing with God over why he shouldn't be the one to deliver Israel, Moses asked the Lord, Well, whom should I tell them that sent me? God's response was less than forthright. The answer is simply, I am who I am. 
The chapters that follow continue that theme where God reveals his name and who he is, that he is the Lord. He tells Moses after the initial conversation with Pharaoh, one that didn't go so well, but up until this point, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob only knew him as God Almighty. Still, they didn't know him as the Lord. We learn in Exodus 12 that God is the Lord and that he will execute judgment on the gods of Egypt. This is what the plagues were really about, executing judgment on Egyptian gods and demonstrating once and for all God's supremacy, God declaring who he was. He had designs on not merely telling them who he was, but showing them just exactly who he was. First through the plagues and the provision, but now with vivid special effects. It is no accident then that as we come to Sinai, precisely three months to the day after the burning bush, God continues his display of who he is. He has delivered them with mighty power, protected them with the cloud, brought them through the sea, provided for them with water from a rock and manna from heaven, and now he descends to meet with them. God comes down with fire and thunder and smoke upon the top of that mountain. His magnificent display is so powerful that he forbids them to come up on the mountain because they could die because of his presence. He invites a consecrated Moses and Aaron up the mountain, and there he declares his promises to the people, telling them, You've seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will carefully listen to me and keep my covenant, you will be my own possession out of all the peoples. Although the whole earth is mine, and you will be the kingdom of priests and my holy nation. These are the words that you are to say to the Israelites. You see, as they stand on the edge of God's promises, they're reminded of his faithfulness. God had literally carried them to this moment with bread from heaven and water from rocks. God had brought them to this place and everything he had done for them up until this moment was to get them to the edge of this mountain to hear his voice, to witness his power, and to enter into relationship with him. God did not deliver them without purpose. He was to make these people his people, to bring them into a relationship with him. But that relationship required revelation. God had to show them who he really was, a revelation that they had heretofore not discovered. But there's a problem. This is a sinful people, as evidenced by their habitual grumbling against Moses and this God who had saved them. That's why this mountain was so important. This mountain and the end of the road of desolation was the mountain of God. It's not insignificant then that God comes to them on this mountain, for he resides up high in holiness, and they live down below in sin. Therefore, God has Moses draw a line around the mountain. The people are instructed under penalty of certain death not to cross that line. Should they do so, God's holiness would break out among them. They were separated from God because of their sin. The remarkable, majestic, incredible power of God was to descend upon that mountain. But the people were to not break through to see him or they would die. That display must have been absolutely breathtaking. 
Philip Riken writes, What the Israelites witnessed that day was one of the most awesomely terrifying displays of divine power that anyone has ever experienced. All the forces and powers of nature slammed against the mountainside. Lightning, thunder, darkness, smoke, fire, and earthquake. The mountains were covered with a black and ominous cloud. Its peaks were charged with lightning. Its rocks were blazing with fire and belching smoke, which billowed like the smoke from a fiery hot furnace. In addition, the trumpet blast and the booms of thunder. There was the incessant blowing of a trumpet. Possibly it was a giant shofar made from a ram's horn. But the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder and louder as God came closer and closer. Acrid smoke was in the air from a fire that radiated intense, menacing heat. The whole mountain quaked and trembled. The ground underneath Israel's feet was moving and shaking. and They were unable to ascend that mountain. Instead, this nation was to consecrate themselves before they could even witness the Lord's presence from a distance. Wash their clothes, abstain from sexual relations. They were to be as pure and as holy as they could possibly be, and yet still they were separated from this God and his holiness. The people were invited into an incredible relational covenant with God, but that covenant had to be maintained at a distance. When they moved from this place, God would indeed be encamped positionally with his people in the tabernacle. But still, even then, his presence would reside above the cherubim in the most holy place. That place was quartered off from the people, so God's holiness would not be infringed. Though God wanted them to be his own possession, they still had to keep their distance from him because of their sin. The one story of God's revelation of who he is does not stop, though, with a separated view of God's glory. That was just the beginning of God's willingness to reveal who he is. Though, he could not, though they could not ascend the mountain to God, Jesus, because of God's love, descended the mountain for us. John put it this way, we beheld his glory. The glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He would open First John much the same way. That which we have seen, which we have looked upon, which our hands have handled of eternal life, that we declare to you so that our fellowship may be with the Father. John said that this God whom he had seen with his own eyes on the Mount of Transfiguration had come down to reveal the Father to us, to show us who he is. This same God descended on Sinai in power and smoke, descending even further now to the common man to reveal to us the Father's character. The ultimate display of God's character happened not on Mount Sinai, but on Mount Calvary. Listen to how the writer of Hebrews describes it. For you have not come to what could be touched, to a blazing fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to the blast of a trumpet and the sounds of words. Those who heard it begged that not another word be spoken to them, for they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The appearance was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. Instead, you have come to Mount Zion, 
to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, a festive gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven, to a judge who is God of all, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood which says better things than the blood of Abel. This covenant promised not a divided relationship that demanded our cleanness to witness it from far away. Still, Jesus' blood spoke better things and invited us into a covenant relationship. For he makes us holy and fits us for communion with God Almighty. The same God that thundered on Sinai is now the God who invites us into his very presence through the blood of Jesus in the form of a still, small voice. Remember, at the cross, remember what happened at the temple? The veil that would have taken dozens of priests just to move was torn from top to bottom because God was inviting us into relationship through Jesus. The veil had been torn. Access had been granted through Jesus Christ. What an incredible display. Ironically, even during Jesus' death, some of these same phenomena that happened at Sinai occurred. Earthquakes and darkness, all of it reminded us of the presence of God at that moment. And we would do well to consider Exodus 19 through the lens of the cross and consider the power revealed here balanced with the intimacy of the invitation to enter into a communion with this powerful God. Why would we ever worry about the things of this life when the God who does the things that he did for Israel is inviting us into a relationship with him. Why would we not spend the time hidden in the mountain with God rather than standing around as the Israelites did, complaining that they didn't have anything to drink? I fear that we are too much like these Israelites. We wander in the desert, complaining about our life in the flatlands, when we have been invited up into the mountain, into the very presence of God. It is on this mountain that we should live. Here that our lives are and our perspectives should change, and here that the worries of this life will melt away in the white-hot vision of the majestic creator of the heavens and the earth. So Jesus, help us to remember Thank you for coming down the mountain to cross the line that your holiness demanded. You became sin for us so that we might be called the righteousness of God. Forgive us for wandering in the desert, complaining about life in the badlands when you are inviting us up into your presence. Help us to consecrate our lives, to live holy in your presence through the blood of Jesus. Help us to dwell here with the expectation of what only a God of the plagues and the sea and the manna and the water can do. In your name, amen. Thanks for joining us today for the Read Your Bible podcast. For show notes to today's episode, please visit readyourbible.info. While you're there, you can listen to past episodes as well as access a host of additional resources designed to help you grow in your faith. It's all there for you at readyourbible.info. That's readyourbible.info. For more information about South Seminole Baptist Church, just go to southseminole.com. Join us again tomorrow as together we help you learn to read your Bible.